0: Sharon Bedell is vice president of filmmaker relations and shorts programming for the Tribeca Film Festival. She started with Tribeca at its inception in 1999 and has been with the festival ever since this year belatedly celebrating their 20th anniversary in a post-COVID world. She's on the faculty at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, recognised as a distinguished teacher. In 2008, Sharon wrote a book called Swimming Upstream, a life-saving guide to short film distribution published by Focal Press. She has been a panelist and juror at numerous festivals and for industry organisations globally, and she received her MA in cinema studies and business from NYU. We first met Sharon in 2017, when our short film, The Beehive, was selected for its world premiere in the New York Shorts program. It was such a thrill to attend Tribeca and meet Sharon in person. She's so passionate about short filmmakers and her programming and boasts a wealth of knowledge across her time at the festival. This interview is full of fantastic tips and really provides an insight behind the scenes of one of the world's most prestigious film festivals.
1: We actually kind of have three festivals going on because we have all the 2021 selections and we're showing all the 2020 selections as in person because we felt like they didn't get their moment in the sun. And we have our Tribeca at Home initiative, which is additional shorts. The competition shorts will go on eventually. And so it's kind of juggling all these things. And of course, navigating, doing the festival for the 20th time, but really for the first time, because of everything that's happened this past year. We have outdoor screenings and that entails a whole different feeling and organization to them um, we have you know all different new venues so it's it, it's a it's the first time for the 20th time really <laughs> <laughs> well, like what a,
2: a, a sort of a landmark. Uh, 20th year and obviously 2020 impacting such a shift for your 20th year as well. Um, I noticed that you're also uh, showcasing out of program, uh, you've got a Juneteenth selection. Is that something that Mm -hmm. you do every year or is that in response to what happened last year?
1: It happens that obviously uh, we want to be part of the movement and really embrace different aspects every year. Our last live festival in 2019, we had a Tribeca Celebrates Pride special program. And this year, because Pride Day fell during the the festival, it was that, you know, time of uh, celebration. And this year, Juneteenth falls on our festival. So we felt that it would be appropriate to do a variety of programming for that day, which I think will definitely resonate with our audience.
2: That's amazing. And you've got so the 46 shorts, is it, in competition this year? Plus is it a similar amount for the 2020 running concurrently?
1: No, 64 for 2020. So we have a total of 18 programs screening. (laughs) Sharon. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it's normally. How have you done this? This is amazing. Well, well we haven't done it yet. So let's say um, <laughs> no, my co-programmer Ben and I were actually just working on the intro and Q&A schedule. And I said on our big programming meeting, I said, well, I said, it's physically impossible for me to be in two places at once. And I don't have enough time to clone Ben or myself. Normally we have a lot of our, our programming team for shorts is global. We have from Australia to Finland, to Argentina, to Europe, to all across the States. We have a team of, uh, I think we're approached 30 people this year. And normally a lot of, those associate programmers will come to new york physically for the festival and we like to give them the opportunity to do the intros and the q a's so that they are part of this not just that they're sitting home watching these films and then thanks goodbye but that they they can be part of the festival in a meaningful way but because of the travel restrictions this year a lot of them are not going to be able to come or aren't really going to make that decision until closer to the festival. So (laughs) Ben and I are gonna try try and figure out how we're gonna do this. But uh, yeah, that's next on our plate. That's That's Monday's task is for us to, because we actually have been going back to the office, he and I, and that's Monday's task is for us to sit together with this big schedule and say, okay, who's doing what and what do we need to do to accommodate simultaneous screenings because we don't control the schedule. Mm. The slotting is not under my control. So uh, I'm provided with our screening slots Mm. and then we're going to do it. I mean, we have really great screening slots and the the venues are spectacular. We have the battery. Uh, We have uh, uh, Pier 76 on the West side, Hudson Yards, Metro Tech in Brooklyn, Brookfield Place, Waterfront, Brookfield waterfront. So the actual physical venues are spectacular and they have great views and it's going to be a, an empire outlets in Staten Island where you are sitting watching a movie and you can see the skyline of Manhattan and you take the ferry to get oh. there. It's going to be great. The logistics now are what we're dealing with. Well, I have no
0: doubt that you will <laughs> achieve the impossible cloning, task. Cloning, I have to work on <laughs>
2: cloning this year. So how many uh, um, submissions do you get on average of for the short film competition?
1: Well, I'll tell you, this year we were surprised because last year we got over 6,100 short submissions and we didn't know what to expect this year. Who knew? And we got over 6,000. And another thousand for the Tribeca at home. So people were definitely making, you know, making movies and sending them to us. And what I'm particularly proud of this year is that 70% of our selections are world premieres. And that is the largest percentage in Tribeca's history. And I've been with the festival since day one. So I. I know, you know, I have that kind of historical back information to to pull from as we're talking about what's different or what's new and this and that. So the submissions stayed pretty much the same.
0: Wow. Isn't that wonderful that people haven't lost their creativity even in this very dark, limited time? Have you seen much of a shift in theme or uh,
1: subject matter? Okay. I need to give a little advice here. And this comes particularly being in New York and being so impacted in the early months of the festival. When you think about making a film, and you you have to think about the festival and its audience, our audience went through an unbelievable year. And if you are going to make a film about covid then you have to understand that that's going to be challenging for programmers because there were so many films already about COVID that were submitted. And when you think, you always have to think about the audience. And what do they want to say? We knew that it was unavoidable that we were going to have some shorts that were COVID themed, but we have one Uh, from Ireland called how to fall in love in a pandemic. That's really fun. We have an animated short called there are bunnies on fire in the forest. We have a a beautiful short in our New York program called Layla, which our audience particularly will resonate with, but they can't dominate your programming. Nobody wants to sit through a program about COVID. We're still living it. And I think that is something to be conscious of as a filmmaker, as we start to come out of the post COVID world, thinking about their storytelling. If you are gonna tell a story about COVID time, what can you do to make it different? What can you do to have a different take on it? If I see one more film, with the silent empty streets, you know, it's just silent empty streets, washing your groceries. Like what's new, what's different about that? <laughs> and that, that it's really important because I fear that everybody is now going to turn to make films about their experience in the last year, be it narrative or documentary. And I really would like them to think about the story and the audience. And what would the audience want to see after going through all this?
2: Mm, Because on that note, I believe that you've actually programmed travel, music, dance, fun.
1: You've created an uplifting program. Yeah, for exactly that reason. Because if, you know, my personal opinion is not relevant, not relevant. I program for the audience. And in this case, I'm programming for an outdoor audience post-COVID, for many of our audience members, I believe Tribeca will be the first time they go to the movies. And mm. we spent a lot of time, Ben and I spent over a month curating the programs after we had narrowed down those selections and thinking about, you know, you get to that two last 200. We have to narrow it down to 46 because we have a finite number of programs, eight programs, that's it. What do you want? And we talked about what we were missing and what we thought the audience would enjoy. And that's where we tried to position things. So there are some serious dramas in this program. I don't mean to allude that it's all rainbows and unicorns. It's, there are some very serious dramas, but we intentionally looked for films that we're hopefully optimistic at the end.
0: Mm. I
1: think
2: that's so important. It is so important. And when you're selecting and then deciding the program, is the theme something that evolves as you're narrowing the films down or is that something that you you go in with an idea of what you'd like to theme the festival with? Yeah,
1: no idea what we're going to do. The only thing for sure that we try and do is a New York Shorts program because that's very popular And it's all our local filmmakers. And so that is, but that's really the only one that is kind of something we're looking at. It's all dependent on the crop. Um, 2020, we had a sci-fi program, 2021, no. That didn't, you know, what we do is kind of look at those films that we really like and think about the journey. What do they have in common? We want um, diversity in running time, texture, uh, storytelling, diversity in characters, representation appropriately. And that's where you start looking. The, the titles of the programs and the one line description is the last thing, last thing that happens. <laughs> they reveal, that's the magic of it to me, is that, mm-hmm. that they, the films reveal themselves. The programs reveal themselves. And I might go into it saying, I want to do a program about this, but not going to happen necessarily. Um, But so we don't, I had hoped, you know, we have programs like sci-fi does really well with our audience. Comedy does really well with our audience. The music programs, not the first time I've done a music program. They do really well with our audience. So I'm always kind of flagging those films as I see them because we would be hopeful to do the programs that we know are quite popular with our audience.
0: I love how hmm. it's a, there's a re- it's an energy of the actual films themselves and how they work together that then becomes what you curate it's
1: it's a very it is magical it is. isn't it? it's it's really fun it's fun to do because we'll lay out we put each film on an index card with all its detail on it And we lay them out, we take over the conference room, we lay them all out. And then we're like, okay, this one and this one. Okay, this one and this one. And then, okay, which, how are we gonna end this program? Do we wanna end it dramatic? Do we wanna end it comedic, you know? And that it kind of like, it's putting together eight little jigsaw puzzles almost. Mm. Hmm. It's like writing a script. it is, that's exactly (laughs) what we do with the cards, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And <laughs> so, this is uh, the final sort of 200, is it that you will sit down with? How do you even narrow? So, what's the process of narrowing the 6,000
1: to 200? Well, okay. I, ben and I each watched like 700 each. Um, every, we start in October, and every person on our team has a weekly number to hit and a total number to screen. And basically, Ben and I are watching cold submissions. It's very important for us to watch the cold submissions so we get the lay of the land. We know what's out there. We get a sense of what the zeitgeist is. But then, as the we rate them. Uh, everyone rates the film. Uh, as the associates and the screeners, who are all, by the way, programmers at other festivals. So th- I know that I can trust their eye and they are also at the same time, have the opportunity to consider these films for their festivals, which come after Tribeca. So it's, they, they benefit from that. Don't use volunteers, don't use interns. And every time I keep running a report, I can run a report that will give me constantly, give me those top uh, rated films. And then Ben or I will watch one of those. So we are piggybacking them. Otherwise, it would be an avalanche for us in February. So we're kind of constantly leapfrogging all of the the fives, we call them, all the fives. And then by the time we get to January, we've already watched most of the fives. If we keep, could they have to keep on top of their? Quotas, weekly quota, and I have to keep on top of their fives, and it's kind of this machine that just keeps rolling until finally we get to that. We run the report, and it usually comes out to about you know two hundred that get the uh, that have been the highest rating, and then 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 that's the hard part. Then then. Ben and I have to make some very tough decisions. And it could be something as simple as, well, we showed a film with that exact subject last year, like for a doc, for example. We don't want to replicate what we did recently. Or it could be, you know what, we've got too many father-daughter films here in this mix. Which one do we think is the strongest? Um, we're also looking at premiere status, obviously, and we're looking at um, we're looking for uh, representation among the film schools for the student films. And in fact, we don't even know when we go into the process how many of the eight programs are going to be doc or narrative. It depends on the strength of those films. So some years we've had more doc programs. This year, I think we're pretty even. Actually, this year we're doing something that we haven't done before. We're doing hybrids. We have two programs that are hybrids where we are showing documentaries and narratives in the same program. And we don't normally do that, but the films just work very well together and the ride makes it very nice. The Let's Fly Away international program is one of them because we had a few docs that were so visual and, and, and some other narratives that were beautiful stories. And we felt that this is, the best part about Tribeca for me is that I can try anything once, you know, I'm try, we're trying this. Let's see how the audience responds to a hybrid program. We haven't done it before. We, I think we did it once with our New York shorts, but in general, we keep the docs separate from the narratives. Let's see how it goes. That's the fun part is um, we program in our heads. I don't, we don't watch the program until we see it with the audience and the filmmakers that night. So it's it's a very That's cerebral nice. kind of process. And we're like, you know, you're, yeah. you're like a parent at your kid's recital, you know, ballet recital. <laughs> you're standing in the back and you're like, oh, I hope they like it. I hope they like it. I hope they get it. I hope they... Come away with it from it with the feeling that we had hoped
0: yeah I love that freedom and it's
1: so lovely to hear about it from a,
2: a programmer's perspective and and the joy and the care that obviously there is always care if you're curating but but to hear how how involved emotionally you are in the process as well is um,
1: really heartwarming Well that's why I mean you know we invite Ben or I invite every film personally. We don't send a rando email, like from the programming team. We don't, you know, and that is how we claim the joy too, because don't forget, I've been doing this since October. It's May. Okay. These films are living in my head, every one of them. And to actually extend that invitation voice to voice. I think I I woke you up, didn't I, Jacoby? Didn't I? I woke you up in the middle of the night. Yes. Um, Yes. New York to
0: Australia. And I was like, whoa. The best wake up ever.
1: And that's, but that's part of what we love. And then because we've had this kind of connection to the filmmaker through the invitation, we're so excited to meet them and we're so excited to hear more of the Mac Mm. story. I remember asking you about the bees, right? About that whole, that, mm. that whole section of the film. And that is, um, mm-hmm. so it, you kind of have these stages of programming where first it's very lonely and especially this year, really lonely and very isolating because it's you and the film. That's it. We don't start discussing these until January. And so you go from that very isolated programmer film connection to then this kind of discussion stage to then the invite stage, and now to the screening stage and it's it really becomes a it's a pretty long journey through the year in terms of start to finish,
0: mm. Mm. sort of build to this crescendo with all these excited filmmakers.
2: It's such a well oiled machine as well, Tribeca. And I remember when we arrived, we there was never once a question of, oh, where do we go? What do we do? Mm. Like, there was such, we were like immersed immediately, sh- you know, chauffeured off to where we were going. And the festival looked after us every step of the way. And I remember mm. you ha- hosted a huge welcome event. And it was, it was such, it was the best festival that mm. I know we've ever attended in just in terms Very of special. feeling so included.
1: Well, I think we always, we always made an effort to feel, to make the filmmakers feel like they were at home and part of our Tribeca family in the middle of this big city and that that our job on site, our job when the festival rolls, our job is to make sure that the filmmakers have a great experience. And that's everything that we do is geared towards the filmmakers at that point and having fun and enjoying it and having networking opportunities and with other filmmakers, especially. We've had some great collaborations come out of this festival of filmmakers who met at Tribeca, which is fantastic. That's what we love. And, you know, and what I find particularly poignant is that We started Tribeca because our offices are only blocks from ground zero. And we made it our mission to put on a show and help revitalize our crippled city. And it is very, it does not go unnoticed that for the 20th anniversary, we are doing exactly that again. Mm. I just got shells.
0: It's very fitting, and it's um, as a filmmaker, it's a real pinch me moment landing in New York City and attending an institution like Tribeca. It was a, hu- it, it will remain a huge highlight for both of us. Absolutely. On that note, do you have any? What are your top tips for filmmakers arriving for the first time to attend their first Tribeca Film Festival?
1: Directors' brunch. That's always important because that is the one kind of really private event with just the directors, not their plus ones. No, but it's a very, and it's very communal. People sit at tables together, they move around. That is really such a lovely event. And I know that the filmmakers love that event. We love that event too, because we get to move around. I would say that, honestly, uh, don't be late for your screening. We've had <laughs> filmmakers that that were waiting in the lobby for their aunt who was stuck in traffic to give them tickets and miss the introduction of the screening. I think it's very important for you to be you know, 100% focused on your screening. That's your moment. Let somebody else handle the tickets. Let somebody else handle oh, I have to save, you know, Uncle Joe a seat. No, you know, do your thing. Just focus on you. It's it's your moment. And I like when the filmmakers come to the awards because it's, it's very inspirational, the awards. And particularly as Tribeca has grown and now we have, in terms of our storytelling, right? but my boss always says we are storytelling agnostic. That there are so many different ways to sell, tell stories. So we have VR, we have immersive, we have shorts, we have uh, online work, we have podcasts, we have TV, episodic work. All of these things, a lot of times filmmakers tend to silo themselves when they go to a, f- a festival. And they'll only go to their screening and not really take advantage of all of the other aspects of storytelling that are available at a festival that they may not have the opportunity to see again. And I would say to take advantage of whatever industry events the festival offers and take advantage of the opportunity to see work and meet other creators that may inspire you to for your next project.
0: Very hmm. good advice. Yeah. Much like your jigsaw puzzle of film curation. I remember Jacoby <laughs> and I going, how do we fit it all in? We want to see everything.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And working out our, our schedule while we were there. And so...
2: Beyond the festival, because I know you've actually authored a book called "Swimming Upstream" about short film distribution. Um, so this is obviously something you know quite a lot about. Like, what happens to a, f- a short film, and what kind of life can it have after it premieres at a festival like Tribeca?
1: I think things have really changed since I wrote that book. Obviously, right? Netflix didn't ex- Netflix only existed as a DVD place when I wrote wrote that book. <laughs> Uh, but I think the opportunities for short films depend on what you want from that short film as the creator. What is what is the reason that you made this? Is Do you have a feature in mind? Are you um, looking for eyeballs? Are you looking for connections? Because we've had shorts that screened at Tribeca they got picked up by MTV Docs, HBO, HBO Max, The New Yorker, Condé Nast, uh, Netflix, Hulu. You know, I none of those opportunities were available 10 years ago. And I think that filmmakers can explore those opportunities that doesn't preclude the festival circuit. Most of these streaming platforms will hold back. New York Times OpDocs, for example, they have a film that we're world premiering, but they're holding back till we world premiere it before. you, I think filmmakers don't believe they have the power and they do, and you have the power to say to someone who's interested in your film, yes, but I've just started the festival circuit and I want to explore that. If they like your film now, they're going to like it in three months or six months. I think filmmakers get very desperate. They don't check out. Um, if, If you get an inquiry from a distributor, check them out, ask them for references. I think there are a lot of opportunities. In the end, you can decide to just put that film up open gate and try and get it as a Vimeo staff pick or a short of the week um, profile, but it's up to you. I think there are way more opportunities now. I'm not saying you're making any money from them, but there are way more opportunities for exposure for filmmakers now than there were 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was the festival circuit. There were a couple of distributors, and that was it. Do you think that
0: shorts still have the same um, significance in a person's career?
1: I do think that shorts show an ability to to complete a project, an ability to fundraise, ability to um, cast, an ability to shoot, ability to go through posts, ability to complete it. I do think, I don't think anybody can walk out and expect for someone to fund a feature if they've never done anything. People always want to look at previous work, especially when you're looking at different funding programs, like um, different, you know, opportunities like our Chanel through her lens mentorship program, or there are different ones that have come out, drawing a blank on them, but they're all asking for previous work. Mm. Even branded content opportunities, when there's a a call out for treatments, they want links to previous work. If you don't have previous work, you are at a disadvantage in a competitive marketplace with other filmmakers. So I do think that they, they serve a purpose for sure. And for the younger filmmakers, for the film school filmmakers, they definitely are their first step out into the industry, and that is great experience for them to actually finish their film. I have, in fact, my former students at at, at NYU, my former students at NYU made their thesis film, and it's great, and it's showing at Tribeca. Mm, uh, And and not only am I very proud of them, because they actually listened to me in class, (laughs) (laughs) they listened to my advice, But it's great to see these young filmmakers finish something and then have that festival experience Mm -hmm. that energizes them. Because you don't, you know, this is a tough industry. It takes resilience and it takes passion, takes a sense of humor. It takes a lot of things to not burn out. And if you step out and you have a terrible, terrible time, maybe you're not going to stay in the industry. So I always say to my students, I teach seniors, I have a class of only seniors. And I said to them last week at our last class, I said, it's not just about finding a job. It's finding a job that makes you happy. Because if you're happy, you'll stay in this industry. If you're not, you're gonna start looking around. So pick something that you know you will enjoy. The same with the film, you know, same with the festivals. Don't just send it anywhere, strategize your festivals. Submit to places that you think you want to go to or that festivals appeal to you or are the right fit for your film. It's not just a festival, it's what's the right festival for your film.
2: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, jump online and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or any other podcast platform of your choice. Share with a friend and write us a review because we can't keep doing this without you. And until next time, filmmakers, keep creating.